This morning we come back to a topic that we really started in earnest about two years ago. And so I'm not sure how far we'll get this morning. What we don't get this morning, we'll get next week and that'll be fine. But this last week was Thanksgiving and, and on Friday I did something I never thought I would do. I went to Costco on Black Friday. <laughs> Costco doesn't count. I also went to Target. They were experiences. Anyone go shopping on Black Friday? Anyone go shopping on Thursday when you should have been at home with your... No, just kidding. <laughs> I say that because I did, but it was midnight, so I'm not sure if that counts because my family was all asleep. Um, but in, in shopping and in Black Friday shopping, it was amazing to see the attitudes of what was happening here. I, I, I went out at midnight because I was still awake and I thought no one will be in the stores. Everyone was in the stores. Did they not know it was midnight? And there was lines and the parking lot was full. I was cussed at and people were yelling at people on their phone and scrambling for things. And over the intercom, would you, you know, we were missing this. Do you have any more of this? Customers are unhappy. And I'm like, wow, happy Thanksgiving. And my wife mentioned that, isn't it interesting that at Thanksgiving we we show how grateful we are for things, and on Friday we show how much we want more things. And I, and I thought about that this week, and I thought about the attitudes that I was seeing, and, and, and coming into this attitude of, I want, I want, I want, and can that infiltrate Christianity? Can that infiltrate our view of grace, of salvation, that I've been given this incredible gift, and it's mine? And it's mine to benefit me. It's the, the whole, I've been given this and I'm going to protect it. The hobbit's coming out and the Lord of the Rings, what do they say about the ring? Keep it secret. Keep it safe. It's mine, my precious. And I'm not going to do the voice. but um, <laughs> and, and no one else can touch it. It can only be used for me. And we can get that mindset, I think, especially in our culture, where it's so geared for what I want and what I enjoy and how I can enjoy life because I'm guaranteed the pursuit of happiness, that our Christian faith can become very individualistic. What can I gain? How is God going to benefit me? And we come to our text this morning, and hopefully we've seen it throughout our themes the last two years, throughout all of First and Second Timothy. God's point isn't to glorify you and me. Our God's point, His purpose, is to glorify Himself. And as He is glorified, as people come to Him, as the world is drawn to Him, then all who believe participate in His goodness. And so it's a whole different mindset. And Paul comes to Timothy, and as we've seen in 2 Timothy, the focus is how do we pass on the faith? How do we continue the tradition of Christianity? As Paul knows, he's on death row. And he's about to die. And we saw in, in the first part of chapter 1 that Paul brought Timothy back to this line of generations of believers. You're not alone. You stand as part of a chain. It's not about you. And then last week as we continued in 1 Timothy... 2 Timothy, sorry... We saw Paul then move on from that and tell Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Gospel. 
Don't be ashamed of me. Be willing to stand tall for Christ. Be willing to stand tall for the Gospel. And this morning we come to 2 Timothy, which I consider the first few verses the core of 2 Timothy, possibly the core of 1 and 2 Timothy, as Paul now comes to his charge to Timothy. And he says, it's not about you. You need to be bold for the faith. So now let's step up and carry on carry on the faith and pass it on to another generation. It's not about keeping it secret and keeping it safe. It's about bringing others along and discipling others and and equipping a next generation of believers. And as long as we think our faith is about us, we won't do that. Because we'll just take, take, take all that we can and never pass it on. So turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll be starting at verse 1 in our text this morning, but to read, I'd like to go back to verse 14 of chapter 1 and catch the argument, catch the flow of what Paul is saying here. Because Paul is telling Timothy, guard the good deposit. And now in these verses today, he's talking about what does that mean? Does it mean just to guard it and hoard it? Or does it mean something else? So starting at chapter 1, verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turn away from me, among whom are Philagius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child. And and Paul starts with verse 1 of chapter 2 with you then, my child. And it's this contrast from what has gone before. And he's just brought up these examples in verse 15 of those in Asia that abandoned him when he was arrested. I don't know, Paul. Because they don't want to be associated with the shame. But then he brings up the good example of Onesiphorus and and how he came alongside and searched for him. And so when Paul comes to the you then, Timothy, he's referring to those examples. He says, don't be like the first guys, but follow in the line of, of Onesiphorus. And this is what it means for you to be entrusted with the Gospel. So this morning as we go through the text, and we want to look at six different ways Six different helps, five rather, five different helps to be effective in ministry and in discipleship. I had six, but I moved one of them under one of the other points. (laughs) Five different ways that we can be entrusted with the gospel well, that we can pass that on, that we can disciple one another. And this is, some of these verses are verses that you should be familiar with, that we've taught on several times as we've focused on discipleship. But we come to them again as we study through 2 Timothy, I think very appropriately so. In verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the first thing that Paul comes to when when he's teaching Timothy how to guard the good deposit is look for and rely on Christ's grace in your life. Look for and rely on Christ's grace in your life. 
It gives all the strength you need for the task. We sang this morning, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. And that's not just talking about salvation. His grace is enough for every part of the Christian life. For everything we do. And so Paul here is telling Timothy, find your strength, find your motivation in Christ's awe-inspiring grace. See, Timothy, as we know from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and some of the other things, Timothy was in a difficult situation. He was in a ministry situation that was draining him, that was, that was, that was hard. And Timothy wasn't necessarily the in-your-face bold man. He was a little timid at times, concerned about pleasing people at times. And he was probably worn out at this point. Because we're done with 1 Timothy, there was some time in there, and he's been fighting the fight, the good fight in Ephesus. And so Paul says, look for and rely on Christ's grace in your life. Be strengthened. And, and I love the word be strengthened there. You then, my child, be strengthened. Um, in, in Greek, there's different tenses that we can understand. And that is an imperative, which means it's a command. But it's passive, which means you don't do it. So how do those two go together? How do we have a command that you can't do? And, and the idea is... You can't do this on your own, but allow God to strengthen you. I command you to allow God to give you, give you strength and to give you the ability to complete the task. And I, and I think that's a beautiful way of looking at God's grace is He wants to come alongside. He wants to help. He wants to make us able and competent for the task. But we've got to stop trying to do it without His grace and start relying on Him. Ephesians 6.10, when, when um, Paul is talking about the armor of God, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. See, if Paul just said, be strong, be strong that, he, that's beyond his capability. When we come to spiritual battles, when we come to ministry, when we come to even discipleship, even in our groups here as we minister and pour our lives to each other, if I say, be strong, just, you know, buck up, I'm not giving you a source for that power. I'm leaving you helpless. It's like, Stott said, it's like asking a horse to fly. You can look at that horse and tell him to fly all day, and what's he going to do? He's going to walk and bite you. I, I don't know. He's not going to fly. And so Paul here says, be strong in the grace, or be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His challenge to Timothy is don't be the weak link in a chain of generations. This answers the question that, that I often hear when you come to discipleship. Well, I don't have the ability to disciple. Does God's grace exist? Does God's grace affect your life? Then you have the ability to disciple. And we have a command to disciple here as we're going to see in the next verse. See, grace is God's goodwill towards us. It's undeserved merit or undeserved help. And it's far more, like I said, than salvation. Now that is huge. And the, His saving grace, we, we celebrate and we sing about. But we don't stop needing grace as soon as we're saved. In fact, we need grace every day. And, and think of it as His uh, abiding help. A union with Christ. 
Think of all the ways grace affects you today. Some of you have been Christians and believers of many, many years. Do you still need God's grace? Amen. How? Well, let's interact a little bit and talk this morning. How do you need God's grace even after you're saved? We're still sinners. Forgiveness. Do we deserve forgiveness? So if it's undeserved forgiveness, even after we're, we're saved, what is that? That's grace. It's grace. How else do we need God's grace? To love unconditionally. On our own, without God's grace, without His help, do we do that? No, we struggle with that. But God's grace, when we're impressed with that, when we're in awe of that, gives us the ability to love. The lovely and the unlovely. How else? Forgiveness. Absolutely. Undeserved forgiveness. <laughs> Patience and kindness at the mall on Black Friday. Absolutely. But what you're referring to is sanctification, holiness. Are we able to become Christ-like on our own? No, because we're sinners, because we're human, we, we are unable to be Christ-like on our own. We need God's help. We need His unmerited help, His grace, to be able to even live for Him. And, and, and I know these things may seem obvious. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture that we still need and rely on grace every day and every moment of the day. And this is where Paul starts with, with Timothy. It's not just go do it. He's setting a foundation here of how to minister to each other, how to disciple. We have to be blown away by what God has done in our lives. Amazed that He can forgive me even though I sin over and over and over again. And He still holds me in His arms and says, My son, I forgive you and I love you. That's God's grace. And that strengthens me because now I have something to talk about. And it's not me because it's not about me. So Paul here with Timothy says, Be strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus. His salvation, but His ongoing presence in our lives. Forgiveness when we failed. Holiness when we struggle with sinfulness. Empowerment and ability when we don't think we're capable. Strength when we're weary and tired and don't even know if we can get up in the morning. And so, the first point that Paul makes, if we're to disciple well, if we're to, to build into each other's lives, is we need to look for and rely on God's grace in our lives. It means rehearsing it. I love Thanksgiving, and we talked about that last week, because we have a chance to rehearse what God has done. To remember and not forget. You know, how do we rely on God's grace? How do we stay in awe of it and don't just take it for granted? And it's some of the disciplines that we know we should do. Christianity and walking with God isn't this set of mystical things that somehow I'm going to tell you something you've never heard in 30 years. No, it starts with God's Word and being in God's Word. It goes to prayer and some of the basic disciplines. 
And if we're to be amazed at God's grace, we've got to be reading his word and reading about his grace. Are we in the word? Are we in prayer? Now, the other side of grace is sometimes we can, we can approach situations where we think we're just really good at it. Maybe you've done a lot of discipling, you've done a lot of ministry, and you're like, ah, I can do that with my eyes closed. And you come, and, and you do it, and you do a good job, but that flies in the face of grace too. Why? Because now we're relying on ourselves instead of on God. And so when I'm in the Word, when I'm in prayer, I'm exhibiting a need for God, a desire for God. The most important thing I do before Sundays, before I step up here, is to spend some time in prayer. I would argue that's more important than than hours of study. Not that we don't do those. But if I come up here and I've studied and I have not prayed and not at all asked God for His strength, because then I'm saying I don't need you, then, then this fails. It doesn't matter what cute illustrations I have, or if we talk about shopping on Black Friday or whatever it is, this fails without God's work. When you teach Sunday school, that fails without God's power. When we disciple and get together over coffee, that fails without God's grace. And we become the church at Laodicea that we talked about, where I have all I need and I don't need God. That's why we spend the time on verse 1. Something that may seem obvious, but we need to be strengthened by God's grace. And that's news for those that are weary, and that's news for those that are capable. Because it keeps us growing when we rely on God. The sub-point there you have is keep growing. Keep growing. Know and practice the faith that you've been taught. as we rely on God, as we spend time in prayer, as we come to Him and say, I need you, we're growing. We're growing in our relationship with God and our trust for Him. We're seeing Him work in our lives. We're seeing His power and then we know Him better and we're closer to Him and able to share more. But then also as we go into verse 2, Paul says, And what you have heard from Me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. And the word for heard there is to listen to, to learn, or to heed. Not a word that we use every day, but to heed means to listen and put it into practice. And so Paul is saying, what you have listened and put into practice from me, you're going to entrust to faithful men. And so that implies growth. It implies staying in God's Word, nurturing your walk. Some here I know are are so active in ministry and you're weary, you're tired. This is part of your your routine of life needs to be filling yourself back up with God's Word. Refreshing yourself. Growing. Grab a book that you've been wanting to read. Maybe Crazy Love or one of the other books that talk about relationship with God and just love it. Enjoy it. And be taught. Be willing to grow. See, so many times when we come to discipleship, when we come to ministry, we forget that we're being ministered to as well. 
That's a two-way street. So Paul starts with God's grace. Look for and rely on Christ's grace. This morning we sang a whole number of songs about his grace. To try to set a foundation for discipleship. We go to verse 2 and we get to point number 2 and this is the other command. Verses 1 and 2 are the two commands and 3 through 7 are examples and pointers for putting those commands into practice. But in in verse 2, we read, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And for the point there, you're blank. Determine to entrust and equip others in the faith. Choose to disciple. Determine to entrust and equip others in the faith. Choose to disciple. Discipleship, I, I, I fear that discipleship in the Church of America is viewed as an option. As something that we can do if we have time. Something that we can do if we really want to get deeper with God. I would argue it's not an option, it's a command. All the way from the Great Commission where where Jesus says, do this until the end of the age. Repeat and replicate and replicate and reproduce. And then here we see the same thing. Paul is saying, what you've heard from me, the first generation, you've put into practice. Now entrust that to other faithful men. But he doesn't stop there. Who will then teach others? Now, if I, if I know how to, to play basketball, which I don't really, so don't even go there. But if I knew how to play basketball, and I teach someone else everything I know, what do I teach them? How to play basketball. And if part of my command is to pass that on, and I'm teaching them everything I know, what's part of their command? To pass it on, okay? Because we can look at this and say, well, that's only for Timothy and then the, the two generations after him. No! The idea is, if I'm, if I'm given a command to pass something on, I pass it on, but I pass the command with it. And so Paul here, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is setting up a structure for how the church is to operate. For how growth happens. He's setting up those generations so we don't lose a generation and lose the church. Discipleship, and and, and we've talked about this, discipleship covers everything from evangelism and missions to building someone to maturity to where they can then reproduce and invest in someone else's life. When we hear from Tim and Kirsten this morning, when we heard from them, that's part of discipleship. That's part of saying, we are going to reach people for Christ because that's the first step. So what they're doing is so key. And then they're, they're, they're hooking people together when they get those emails, when they get those, those names, hooking them into churches so they can be discipled, so they can go through some of that material. But we have to determine to disciple, to entrust and equip others in the faith. The idea of entrust is to to place a responsibility on someone or to give something to someone, to put something in the care and protection. And it always has this idea of responsibility with it. Earlier this year, we we got our eldest son a pet and, and sat down and had this talk with him about what it means to have a pet. 
For instance, you have now the responsibility of having a pet, which means they like to eat sometimes. And so if you're going to have a pet, you're going to feed the pet. And then he realized that if they eat, <laughs> something else has to be cleaned. <laughs> no else to put that. And with guinea pigs, that has to happen frequently because they stink. And, 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 and so Susie is just real on top of them, and my house is not going to stink that way. And, and, and so even this last week, he's like, man, I have to clean her cage again. And we had another talk again about you've been entrusted with this life. There's responsibilities that go with it. We know that about pets, right? Think about that with your faith. You've been entrusted with salvation. Now there are responsibilities that go with that. It's not about me. It's not keep it secret, keep it safe. It's something that then the very act of being entrusted means I have the responsibility to entrust others and to pass it on. An absolute responsibility. In this case, in the Greek, it's a command. It's an imperative. Paul is saying, you must do this. It's an issue of obedience. Because God's purpose, His plan, includes discipleship. That's challenging. That's challenging. We've talked about the last half of that verse. There's a couple of of keys that, that Paul gives Timothy to entrust to faithful men. Faithful meaning those that are reliable, that are trustworthy, that are going to follow through that are then going to, and the second part is, be willing to do the same. And so as we're discipling, as we're ministering in Sunday school classes and our Awana groups or whatever, we're, we're working to build faithfulness, but we're also be working to build this mindset that it's expected that I then build in someone else's life. Reproduction is the expected end product here. And so he says, find faithful men and those that are willing to teach, that are willing to do the same thing. And in these, in, in these short few words, we have four generations of believers that are continuing a chain of believers. I challenge you, take time to entrust. Make time to entrust to someone else the gospel. Make the time to teach, to equip to encourage, and then to launch someone else in the faith. It will be the most incredible adventure you will be on. And by God's grace, you'll be able to do that. Because really, if we had to boil discipleship down, it's that I walk with God, and I let someone else watch and participate, and I let them know what I'm doing. It's actually pretty simple but it involves letting someone into my life and letting them into my life more than Sunday morning. It might mean getting together with them during the week. It might mean caring about them. And that is the power of discipleship and what Paul here is passing on to Timothy. Make a chain. See, this, the, the whole idea of determining to disciple answers the question or the, the objection, I don't feel like discipling. 
I don't have the time. Well, we determine to do it. We choose to do what's important. And this is part of God's plan. This morning we're just going to get through those two points because the next three points are examples of that and we'll get to those next week. But I want to end with just a a story of how this chain can work. How can it work that we make a chain where I pass on to someone and invest in them, they pass on to someone? In the early 17th century, Dr. Richard Sibbs wrote a little book about Christ called The Bruised Reed. A copy of that book fell into the hands of a tin peddler who gave it to a boy named Richard Baxter, who became the greatest of Puritan pastors. So do you see a chain, a generation happening, generations of of faith? Baxter, however, that doesn't stop there. Baxter wrote, among other things, a call to the unconverted, which Philip Doddridge read in the early 18th century, and he in turn wrote The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul. William Wilberforce read that book and so changed his life that he led the fight for abolition of slavery in England. He was a tiny, stunted man, but had such eloquence for Christ that James Boswell immortalized it by writing that during one of his speeches, the shrimp grew and grew and grew and became a whale. Wilberforce became a huge influence in the 19th century British culture and saw the abolition of slavery, abolition of slavery in Britain just three days before his death. Significantly, Wilberforce has been an inspiration for Charles Coulson and the organization he founded, Prison Ministries. Isn't that interesting? The actions of one faithful pastor in the 17th century had an impact on generation after generation because those people were trained and they invested in other people. And village, we want discipleship to be part of who we are. We want those kinds of generational chains to be part of everything we do. And if we get a little sick of talking about it, that's okay with me. Because we need to do it. And we need to make it part of who we are. We'll talk a little bit more of of some ways to do that, some things that we want to do. Um, and we'll, you have cards in your worship folder. We'll put those again in again next week. But I know a number of you are discipling, and a number of you have taken the initiative to make groups. Some of you I know have talked to me and said, I don't know how to do this. I don't know even how to form a group. And so as our next step in helping us become a discipling church, an entrusted church, we want to help you do that and help facilitate that. So on that card... If you, if you want to be part of discipling ministry at Village, but you're just not sure where to go, if you want us to, to put you into a group, just put your name there, some information. Check that box. There's a basket at the back. Because we'd love to get you involved in discipleship. One of the things that we, we want to do and use as a resource, and um, for many of you, I encourage you to go through a, a series that we have called DFD, Designed for Discipleship. And it covers the basic of, basics of the faith. And, and if you're sitting there saying, I don't know how to pass on my faith, this is a tool that makes it so much easier. Because it covers the doctrine and it covers the theology and you go through it with somebody and you're discipling and you're investing your life in this. This can be done and it's not hard. And so we, we, I have some copies of these and 
I'm planning in January to actually take a, a morning and have a class on how to use this and, and anything that we can do in the coming months to facilitate discipleship here at Village, we want to jump on because we want to be a church that obeys this command that is entrusted with the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, just in two short verses, we see the core of Paul's instructions to Timothy to pass on the faith. And Lord, the implications of that are staggering as we talk about changing our whole mindset of how we interact with each other and how we view ministry and whether we're event-driven or relationship-driven, Lord. But I pray that we would find ways to be faithful to Your Word. That we would find ways to invest in each other's lives. Lord, to build a chain of generations of men and women that are standing tall for You that cannot be broken. Because we have done our part to strengthen the next link. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would grow in maturity that we would grow deeper in You. Lord God, we, we are excited about what You've already done through discipleship here. You've already raised up young men and women, and all, all men and women of all ages. And Lord, You're continuing to do that. Lord, may we be a church that is sold out for You and finding ways to be entrusted with the Gospel. In Jesus' name.